This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Amazing. Well, so good to be together this morning. We're starting a new series, uh, James on Life. And so we're going to go into the book of uh, James, as you may have guessed, uh, for this series. Uh, hi to everyone on the live stream. Hi to the Yellow Room. Hopefully you're there now and you're joining us and uh, watching with us. And before we go into the, the text, before we go into the Bible, I just thought it'd be good to uh, just simply ask the question, who is James? Do we have any Jameses in the room? Yeah. yeah. No, this, you're Dan. <laughs> but that is your middle name, isn't it? Yeah, that is your middle name, yes. Very good. Thank you for that. <laughs> so who is James? As in, who is James? You know, sometimes we read these books, don't we? And we see these names in the Bible, but maybe we, we don't pause and ask the question, well, who are these people? Real people in real places who had real experiences, encounters uh, with Jesus, real uh, experiences with God, and they shared that with the community around them. So we're going to think just for a moment about uh, James, the author of this book. And we believe, we understand, scholars will tell us, and like with all of these things, there's debate um, and there's different points of view. But our best understanding is that the author of this book, James, is the brother of Jesus, who we meet in the Gospels. Um, and you can search that for yourself. Matthew 13 is one reference uh, to where we see James in the Gospels. And in the Gospels, he's presented as someone who doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, you know, actually in the Gospels, we get these different images of um, Jesus' uh, brothers and sisters being a bit unsure about, well, we know you. We, we, we were raised with you. You know, we knew you as a child. We knew the teenage Jesus. You know, we, we, we grew up with you, and they don't accept him as Messiah. They don't accept him as Lord uh, at some point in their life. But then James, we see later, does become a follower of Jesus, and actually becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Maybe the first Christian community, James becomes the leader. James is also mentioned as one of the people who saw the risen Christ. Now imagine that. He's one of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And he goes uh, later in history by the nickname James the Just, known for his wisdom, known for the justice and the mercy uh, that he brings to the community around him. And it may even be that this uh, letter was the first, it could be that this was the first New Testament letter. So this is ancient. This is incredible. This is a window into history, a window into Christian history. This is the brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, one of the first witnesses of the risen Christ, whose goal was to pass on the wisdom of Jesus. This is known as one of the wisdom books. You know, in the Old Testament, we get wisdom books like uh, the Proverbs uh, or, or the Song of Songs, some of this wisdom literature. Well, this is seen as part of the New Testament wisdom literature. So if you're looking for wisdom, anyone in the room or anyone in the last room looking for wisdom, guidance, a way to live your life, well, this whole series is James bringing the wisdom of Jesus to one of the first Christian communities, James on life. And I love how the letter starts. So we now know James is one of the key leaders in the early church. James the just, 
the first uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus. But here's how he starts his letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great start that is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's gone from being a bit unsure of Jesus, because he's his brother, he's related, he's seen him, to a point not that long down the line, a few decades later, where he's declaring Jesus is Lord. To the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations, as in his writing to Jewish Christians. Uh, but that now includes all of us. He's writing to the church as he knows it at the time. Greetings. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So this whole series is going to be looking at the book of James. And we'd really encourage you to get into the book of James during this series. In, in this uh, morning, we're going to look at James chapter 1, those verses we just read. And then a bit later, James chapter 2. And there'll be some very familiar verses, I believe, particularly in, in James chapter 2. And this whole series, James on Life, it's wisdom. It's wisdom for life. And this morning's uh, preach, this morning's message is called A Life of Faith. And so the invitation for each one of us is to step into a life of faith. I'm going to have four simple things I'm going to draw uh, out of this passage, this passage and the next passage. And we're going to look at how do we live a life of faith. We've had a great uh, story already this morning of these incredible people that I've known for a long, long time. I think I met Sarah when she was 17, and Nick, I don't know how long ago it was. We used to play football on a Saturday morning together, more than 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, uh, but seeing these guys live a life of faith, not perfect people. We're not saying they're saints and they're perfect and everything they've done is, uh, is 100%. But they live a life of faith and we want to honour that this morning. And as I, as I look across this community, I see a community, I was just thinking this morning, I love this church. You know, just that sense of in our worship and in our community together, this is a community of faith. And I see lives of faith across this community. And so there's going to be an encouragement, but also an invitation, maybe a challenge of what does it mean to live a life of faith. So my first idea is this, based on uh, James 1, verse 2 to 4. Faith looks like perseverance. Should we just go back to what it says? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Has that been anyone else's experience? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, that when 
things are thrown at you, when trials and challenges and circumstances are thrown at you, consider it pure joy. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to consider it pure joy when it seems like the worst is being thrown at you. It may be a bit cheesy, but just this sense of all of us want the testimony. You know, everybody wants a great testimony, don't they? But very few people want the test. All of us want a great testimony. All of us want to be able to say, here's what God did. And be able to tell a great story of all that God did. All of us want this great testimony. But very few of us want to sign up to the test. Want to sign up to the trial. Want to sign up to say, well, I want to go through all these challenges so that I can come out the other side with this great testimony. James says, consider it pure joy. I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you are going through some things that feel like a challenge. Feel like the, the ship is rocking. You know, feels like everything, every, every area of your life is being tested. I see a few smiles. There may be knowing smiles where people are like, yes, I'm going through some tough stuff. Our hope and our prayer is that during this season, during the season of perseverance, that what will come out the other side will be an incredible testimony. I love this morning that Sarah and Nick could share something of their testimony. And they've got a lot more stories to tell. And, and here's the other reality is, the story isn't over, is it? So this, this season, they're right, there's now a season of rejoicing, but also grieving. This season of 12 years serving um, this, this beautiful nation and these beautiful uh, people in, in China. Uh, and that season um, it has come to an end. But it's not the end of your journey, is it? Actually, God has got so much more for you. Maybe that's a word for some other people in the room. Maybe there's a sense of grieving of a season is over. Well, maybe God has something new for you. Not maybe. Actually, God has something new for you. God has something fresh for you to step into, which may require another test, which may require some more perseverance, which may require some more challenges. As I was thinking about this this idea of the test and the testimony, I was remembering being a, a young person Around the time, me and Nick used to play Saturday morning football in Littleborough. And we were the best two players on the pitch by a long way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, during that season, I had uh, become serious about my faith. I was a passionate, committed young Christian. And on my Saturday nights, maybe 16, 17 years old, uh, me and a few friends of ours would, I don't know what you did on a Saturday night when you were 16, 17. I had a wild 16 and 17 year old existence. On a Saturday night, I'd go around to Jim and Joyce Sweet's house. And uh, Jim and Joyce Sweet were this incredible uh, couple. Uh, I think they were in the 70s when we went around to their house. And uh, Jim had just these incredible stories of surviving World War II. Jim's nose was twice the size it was meant to be because he stuck his head above the, the trench one day and a bullet went through his nose. Uh, but he survived. He, su- he survived um, landing um, a parachute when it was a Roman candle and he was told, if, if the parachute does this, then you are done. It's, it's game over. But somehow he survived. Somehow he survived uh, World War II. And he came home to the valleys of South Wales James or Jim was this big guy, very kind of big character, charismatic character. And he came home, and, and a beautiful uh, southern Welsh accent. And he came home uh, to the, the valleys of South Wales um, after World War II uh, to kind of find out, how did I survive? Why did I survive? Came home, 
And no one was at home. He was told, your mum is at the church praying. And he got home to the church, and his mum's on his knees, praying that Jim would return from the war. And that's where Jim thought, that's why I'm home. Because <laughs> of the prayer of my mum, that's why I'm home. And maybe God has something to do with my life. So Jim became a preacher. Uh, Jim got filled with the Holy Spirit and met his wife, Joyce. And they both got filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, they began to preach about the Holy Spirit in churches that maybe weren't experiencing the Holy Spirit. So they'd be kicked out of church after church after church until they ended up in Hayward, uh, where, I was, uh, where I grew up. And uh, they were, and again, Jim was this kind of fiery preacher uh, that maybe didn't totally suit our nice little Baptist church, but he would preach. And on a Saturday night, uh, me and a few of my friends would go around every Saturday and he'd teach us old hymns and he'd teach us the Bible and he'd just, he'd just kind of get God's word into us. And it was a great education for those one or two years, hearing story after story after story, tests that led to testimonies, trials that showed me that faith looks like perseverance. You know, I could see that in somebody who was in his 70s into his 80s. And because I'm now talking about an era that was kind of before social media, I can't find a picture of him on the internet. He existed. He existed. But I can't find a picture of him on the internet because that just wasn't the world that we lived in. I can't kind of find any evidence of his existence on the internet. But I know he's a real person. And his story, even though it's not online, his story impacted me as a young person. His story showed me faith looks like perseverance. Faith, you know, all of us want the testimony. But I said, maybe God has some, obst uh, maybe God has some tests, trials for us to go through. I don't want to say I say that God is testing you, but life is testing you. <laughs> life is full of obstacles. And God doesn't want to make it just easy for us. I see God... Um, God celebrates when we have to persevere, when we have to fight for things. Faith looks like perseverance. Okay, my second idea from this passage as well, from uh, James 1, 5 to 11. Faith looks like trusting God. I don't know if that's your story. That's certainly the story I saw in Jim and Joyce for 40, 50, 60 years of their life. Faith looks like trusting God. And here's simply what I want to do in this moment. My guess would be everyone in the room, everyone on the live stream, everyone in the yellow room, everyone watching this in the future, that you have got something in your life right now that you're needing to trust God with. Maybe there's something right now. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's one of the prayer requests we've already prayed for this morning. Maybe it's a big decision. Maybe it's something in the future. Something that you know you need to trust God for. And maybe right now, you're holding on to it. You're trusting yourself. You're trusting your own wisdom, your own intuition, your own creativity, your own best idea. Maybe this morning is the morning where you take hold of that thing and you give it to God. And you say, God, faith looks like trust in you. I'm going to entrust you with this, which means that you're no longer holding on to it. You're putting it into God's hand. So why don't we do that right now? Just in this moment, we're not going to have any kind of um, heavenly music, <laughs> although the music is so good. Just in this moment, just a simple invitation to say, and may, maybe you want to physically do this where that thing, you, maybe you're holding it too tightly and you're like trusting yourself. It's, I need to figure this out. 
No, maybe this morning it's saying, I'm going to put this into God's hand. Faith looks like trusting God. So why do you even in this moment, that's great, I see a few of you holding your hands out or just in this moment, why don't you do something that is signifying to God, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm entrusting you with this, with my children, with my mother, with my father, with my grandchildren, with my future, with my finances, with my job, with my unemployment, with my health. God, I'm entrusting you. Faith looks like trusting God. And God, I pray that in this moment that you'd see these prayers, hundreds of prayers that are being prayed in this moment. God, we believe that you're here. And God, I just pray that you'd see the trust that we're placing in you. God, we're asking you for wisdom. We're asking you for help. We're asking you for grace. I pray that in this moment that you would see hearts that are open to you, lives that are open to you. And God, that you would take those things. And God, that you would do what only you can do. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Faith looks like perseverance. Faith looks like trusting God. And one other thought from this passage, then I'll read the next passage. Faith looks like focus. It says in verse 8, it talks in verse 8 about a double-minded person. Someone who lacks focus. Someone's blown about by the wind. Faith can often look like focus. Conviction, you might call it. Determination. Like God said this. God's asked me to do this, and so I'm going to fix my eyes on that. I'm going to focus on that. And I was thinking about this idea of faith looking like focus and faith looking like conviction and sticking to something. Uh, I was thinking of, of, of this lady on the screen that you, uh, maybe you enjoyed last week's celebrations, um, maybe you didn't engage with it, but I was just thinking about Queen Elizabeth II and, and the vow that she made on her coronation 70 years ago, and so much of what I loved about last weekend was just hearing story after story, testimony after testimony of people saying the reason she's reigned for 70 years, the reason she's been on that throne for 70 years, the reason that she's remained such a constant, such a, uh, a face of hope, a voice of hope, is her faith. It's a faith in Jesus that has sustained her. It was her vow. And when you see these pictures, one of the things that really struck me was how young she was, which I know is obvious, it's 70 years ago, but just, she was a young woman making a vow to live for God, to take her responsibility seriously and saying, this is for the king. She recognized that although she has a title of privilege and honor, that she was living for the king, that she was living for King Jesus. She bows the knee to King Jesus. And as this young person, she was making this vow, and the thing that sustained her for 70 years is her focus, is her conviction that what I'm doing, what I've been entrusted with, I've been entrusted by King Jesus. I was reminded of a parable that Jesus tells. It's not, it's not on the screen, but a parable that Jesus tells about two sons. And the father says to one son, will you do this? And what it is doesn't really matter. Will you, will you uh, get the apples from the orchard or whatever it is? And the son says, no, I, I can't be bothered. I don't, I don't want to do that right now. 
and then later changes his mind and thinks, no, I should, I should do that, and goes and picks the apples from the orchard. And the father says to the other son, a son, will you go and pick apples from the orchard? And the son says, yes, I will do this, but then doesn't. It's a really simple story about not being double-minded, about doing what we say. I, lo- I love that parable of Jesus. It's such a simple parable. So many people, for them, faith might be... Um, signing up to a list of beliefs. I will do these things. I believe these things. But then don't do it, like in that parable. They might say yes, but then actually not follow it up. Where there might be other people who initially resist, initially don't appear uh, to be subscribing to King Jesus' beliefs. But then they say, no, actually, that's the right thing to do. So So what I love in that parable is this idea of it's not just what you say, It's actually what you do. And that leads really well to James chapter 2, our second passage. James 2, 14 to 26. Maybe a very familiar passage to you. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace. That's very religious, isn't it? We see need and we say, go in peace. (laughs) go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. What a line that is. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different direction. As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Here's my last idea. Faith looks like action. Now, next week's message is all is going to massively unpack this. It's all going to be about uh, a life of action. But James chapter 2, we can't miss it. It says, faith without works is dead. Here's a really important thing to say. James is not saying that you have to earn your salvation. He's not saying that. It's really important that we don't miss that or that we don't misunderstand James. Salvation is grace. It's the grace of God. It's a gift of God. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is a faith step. And many of us in this room have done that. We've put our faith in Jesus. And it's a gift of God. It's grace. But James is simply saying, if you say you believe this stuff, then do it. (laughs) That's what he's simply saying. He's saying, if you've got this faith, if you believe all these things, if it's what you believe about God, then step into it. Actually live it out. Faith without works, faith without deeds, faith without action, it's, it's a bit of a relic. It's a bit meaningless. It's a bit empty. It's a bit nothing. That's what I think James is getting at. Faith without works, is dead. 
I learned this, I remember again as a, as a young person, um, I remember as a church community, we had this passion for an estate uh, in, in the, the town that I grew up in. And people would pray for this estate. And for weeks, we prayer walked this estate uh, called Darn Hill. And every week, people would go and they believed that God wanted to do something on this estate. They prayed for God to do something on the estate. And the first Friday, where we said, okay, as a, as a team, we're going to go onto the streets and share our faith with these young people and engage with these young people. There was me, my youth leader, and one of the matriarchs of the community, uh, Jenny. And it was the three of us. And I think I was 16 or 17 years old. And realizing that faith without works, it was a bit, I could, I could say all these words about God do something on this estate. God show something to these young people. But I learned as a teenager I actually want to step into it. I want to live a life of faith. I don't just want to be someone who talks a good talk. I actually want to step into this. And I think this is for all of us this morning, that all of us can live a life of faith. All of us can match our words with our actions. Not all of us are meant to do the same thing. Not all of us are meant to live the exact same life. But God has something for you. God has somebody for you to share faith with. God has somebody for you to share kindness with. God has some, something, uh, some uh, mission, some task, some project. God has got something for you. For James, faith is living and active, not a passive collection of ideas to believe. The faithful receive God's word and then do it. Shall I read that again? For James, Faith is living and active, not a passive collection of ideas to believe. This is not an intellectual ascent. It's not just ticking off a box of a, okay, I believe that one tick. I believe that one tick. No, it's not a passive collection of ideas to believe. The faithful receive God's word and then do it. N.T. Wright, biblical scholar, when he's reflecting on the book of James, that's the essence of the book of James. That's the essence of this idea of faith without works is dead. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at lifelanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our network.